It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, welcome to the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, I'm Troy Halliburton, your host. Uh, today I'm joined on the line by my guy Neil DeLaw from Hoop District. Uh, this is take three on the on the Hoop District crossover podcast, man. How are you feeling today, Neil? I mean, I'm feeling pretty good, man. Uh, I had a so we we we, uh, we sat down yesterday after the uh, the press conference uh, of the monumental basketball official announcement. And uh, we recorded a great podcast. I leave the I leave uh, the arena. I go play basketball, and some little kids swipe my phone, taking taking all my podcasts off of there. So, I mean, it, it's that that was a struggle. But you know what? The the real can never be stopped. <laughs> For sure, as uh, Lil Yachty said, man, f these kids, yo. <laughs> Lil Yachty said it, so we're gonna rock with it. But uh, I'm glad to get you back on here so that we can sit back and talk about uh, all the things that are going on with uh, monumental sports or, or monumental basketball, I should say. So yesterday we were both at the press conference uh, where Ted Leonsis announced that um, monumental sports will be branching off. They have a new branch, which will be called monumental basketball, which will be uh, – I guess we were unclear whether that will be headed up by uh, Tommy Shepard, but we do know that Tommy Shepard is – the new GM of the Wizards. So, you know, that official announcement was kind of uh, woven in to the rest of the monumental basketball announcements. But we have uh, Sashi Brown from uh, the Cleveland Browns. He used to be the general manager there. Uh, he's he's going to be coming in to the Wizards uh, as the vice president of uh, chief planning and operations. Um, then we have John Thompson III, who's coming in as a vice president of development and engagement. And we have uh, Dr. Daniel Medina, who's coming in as the chief of athlete care and performance. So uh, let, let's take a, a step back and like kind of look back and evaluate those three newcomers into the monumental sports family and what, what we think about what they're going to be able to bring to the table. Yeah, so like I think uh, you and uh, Mike Sykes, um, on the first podcast, I kind of talked about it, that they need to bring in more people, you know, the front office, and, you know, maybe this is not necessarily going to be considered the Wizards' front office, um, but they kind of needed more guys in the room, uh, guys and uh, women in the room, to kind of just be with outside details of each other. Everybody bring um, their different perspectives and things. Ted talked about yesterday about having more, more diversity, um, not necessarily uh, skin color or whatever, but just more perspectives in the room, and I'm certainly sure that uh, Sashi Brown can obviously bring that to the table, you know, he'll have the unique perspective or kind of a football mindset. Uh, Daniel Medina, he spent a couple seasons with the 76ers last couple of years, um, but he's coming more from a soccer background. Um, he was the team physician uh, at FC Barcelona for almost a decade. Um, and then obviously John Thompson III, you know, again, basketball, but the college level, not necessarily the pro level. So it's definitely a lot of um, intermix of different areas of sports that are now coming together. 
Yeah, I think that, like like you said, what Ted said, uh, diversity doesn't necessarily mean, you know, kind of ethnicity or, or gender. You know, it's just bringing different perspectives in. And so when we talk, when we look at Sashi Brown, I think that the perspective that he brings, uh, you know, coming in from the NFL where, you know, I think that, you know, they, they're they really into, you know, kind of the, the numbers movement. And, you know, he kind of, uh, well, he didn't label himself this, but people labeled him, the, you know, the Sam Hankey of the NFL. So I think that, um, and, and with him being in on like the, the, the operation side, I think that it'll be good to kind of have him be able to manage a lot of the day-to-day activities of a general manager so that, you know, that could leave uh, Tommy Shepard uh, some, 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 some room so that he can, you know, focus on the basketball activities instead of, you know, spending, you know, all of his day in the office focusing on the operations aspect of it. So I think in, in that sense, uh, bringing Sashi Brown and his perspective from the NFL will be a huge plus for what the team has going on. Um, the, the, the John Thompson, the third, uh, hiring that might seem like the most confusing as far as what it is that he's going to be doing. But I mean, I think that from what, from what I can infer from yesterday's press conference is that, uh, Ted Leonsis wants monumental basketball to be more of a, uh, I don't know, more of grassroots in the community. So he, he spoke of, you know, trying to build, you know, courts and playgrounds for kids and, you know, maybe even looking into starting up an AAU program. He, he mentioned how he was jealous of, you know, Brad and, and John's uh, successful AAU programs and that, you know, he kind of wants to get in the business too. So I, I think that, you know, these guys bring, you know, different perspectives and, you know, the phrase that uh, Ted kept using yesterday was uh, uh, many hands makes for lighter work. So really, this is all to get Tommy Shepard to make to make his transition a lot easier. And so let, let, let's dive into uh, what, what we feel about Tommy Shepard being officially named GM, because that's probably the most important announcement that was made over the weekend. Um, what, what, what do you what do you think about Tommy and what he's done so far and having gone to earn Ted's trust and earn that uh, interim tag being taken off? Yeah, you know, I think um, a lot of people who might be listening might think, okay, this is Ernie Grunfeld's right-hand man. This is Ernie Grunfeld era 2.0. But I think you should um, settle down on that kind of take and kind of let Tommy do his job and see how things go before judging him too quickly. Because I think he's already made clear that this is no longer going to be a win-now mentality uh, for the Wizards. You know, that's kind of been their mentality for the past, you know, six it's years, you know, it's kind of been like, we expect to get those playoffs, we expect to compete, um, things like that. Uh, Ernie would go almost out of his way to ensure that the team makes the playoffs, whether it's dealing first-round picks to bring in the likes of uh, Marquise Morris or Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, he kind of mortgages the future to make sure that they can win now and be as competitive as they can now. But that's not going to be the case under Tommy Shepard. Um, in his less than four months uh, as interim general manager, you know, he's already brought in a lot of young talent, brought back in a few second-round picks that uh, Ernie Grunfeld used to pass out, like, takeout flyers. Um, and so pretty much he's kind of pivoted the entire organizational philosophy um, that the Wizards have had under Grunfeld. So the idea that he's Grunfeld 2.0, almost couldn't be more wrong. It's almost like he's a polar opposite of the guy that he was just working for, um, which is really interesting. And um, I think some people would describe it as a breath of fresh air. I think it's just 
Yeah, I think uh, a breath of fresh air would be a good way to describe it as people who actually lived through the uh, Ernie Grunfeld era and the Ernie Grunfeld media availability. You know, I think that when, when we're talking about Tommy Shepard, I mean, he's a very personable person. You know, he, he, you know, he looks you in your eye, he shakes your hand, he asks you, you know, questions. You know, I've gotten a chance to build a little bit of a relationship with him uh, over the over the last couple of years. I mean, and he's a he's a great guy. And but I mean, it's more than, you know, for taking over this job than just being a great guy. And as you mentioned, I mean, he's he's done things. He's done tangible things that would allow us to believe that, you know, this is going to be completely different from when uh, Ernie was running the show. You know, just as you said, uh, instead of him mortgaging the future, you know, he's in the uh, asset acquisition business. So, I mean, he, he's he's already bringing in asset. And I think I saw a quote uh, from him earlier today where he said, you know, we, we got a lot of bunts and singles. But, you know, that's the key to getting on base and getting on base is how you score runs. So if we're looking at, you know, possibly getting towards the future and figuring this thing out, I mean, we're going to need to, you know, stack up a couple of these singles so we can get some men on base so we can try to figure out what's going on. And I feel I feel like the singles that he's referring to is, you know, the trade for Davis Bertans. You know, they were, we got them for we got him from uh, San Antonio for essentially nothing. Um, the trade for uh, C.J. Miles, a shooter who they they acquired by uh, trading away uh, Dwight Howard, uh, and, and and what was described as the quickest trade that he's ever had to make. Uh, even though he clarified those comments, saying that it was only because you know they they called and he, he got the deal done quick. Now that he was hastily trying to move Dwight, I think he did that. That's how and that's how great uh, Tommy is as a guy because. You know, he he instead of, you know, he knows that it looks like he was throwing Dwight under the bus. So he automatically comes out and, you know, kind of nips that in the butt. So but and then then we go to the draft pick, the drafting of Rui and the drafting of Hashimura and the signing of Justin Robinson and uh, and Garrison Matthews. It's like he's stacking up all of these singles. So what, what, what do you think about some of those moves? And if you had to pick one in particular, which one do you, would you say was the best move that he made? Yeah, so I think um, there are a lot of things about uh, what you're saying that's completely true. You know, I think the alternate uh, route that he could have gone was, okay, our team is going to not be a bunch of singles. We're going to have a bunch of kind of crappy players that are always going to get out. Then we'll have the one home run hitter, Bradley Beal, who maybe every once in a while might hit a home run. He's trying to put people around him that, you know, can get on base in front of him, things like that. So we're going to go with the uh, baseball analogy. But I think he, uh, like you said, stacked up a lot of different moves. He brought in a bunch of second-round picks um, for the future, uh, brought in a bunch of guys, Mo Wagner, uh, Isaac Bonga, Jamario Jones, um, guys who are on rookie scale contracts, which he really loves. Um, I don't know if there's one in particular uh, that I would say is great. Um, I think if I had to pick one, I would go with uh, Admiral Schofield, the second-round pick. Not so much just because I'm in love with the player or anything like that. I really do like uh, his mentality. Um, one funny thing he said uh, at Summer League when somebody asked him uh, what position does he play, since we're all trying to figure that out, he's kind of a tweener four. Um, he didn't answer with the, generic, with the classic answer, oh, I played the three, I played the four. He said, uh, I'm, I, I'm a winner. That's what, that was his response. Uh, so I really love his mentality in that way. Um, but who knows what kind of a player he's going to be. I think the idea that Tommy went out 
and bought a second round pick um, was really eye opening to me. Um, obviously, he paid say around three million dollars to the 76ers um, when you include the one million of dead cap that they had to waive Jonathan Simmons with. But I just think the mentality change that okay, we're going to go out. We'd like this guy in the second round. We're not going to wait around for somebody else to take him. We're going to go get our guy. Um, and so he made the deal, got their guy, and I think that's just another uh, differentiator between Thomas Shepard and Ernie Cornfeld and how things are different now compared to the past. Yeah, I mean, I love the Admiral Schofield pick. I love the process in which they were able to acquire that draft pick, as you just alluded to. Um, I think that it, it'll be very good to get a, a good character guy in, uh, a, a guy who's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, you know, uh, we, we were there watching him at the uh, at the summer league mini camp. You know, this dude looks like a defensive end. Like he's, I mean, the dude's ripped. So, I mean, I think that. You know, Exactly. I mean, he looks smack like a linebacker. So I think that, you know, I think that he's a a different type of player. And it it shows that the team is really thinking outside the box, which I think was also a little bit of a complaint of the Ernie Grunfeld era, where, you know, it felt like a lot of their moves were kind of just, you know, you know, kicking the can down the road, just run of the mill, uh, you know, uh, transactional stuff. Whereas Tommy has already been in place for, well, as the interim tag for four months and now running officially for two days now. But, you know, even still while he was running the show, you know, that he, he's, he's thinking outside the box and he's not just going to, you know, do the, you know, the average thing. He's not going to go out and, you know, take the, the, the popular players that, you know, he, he's going to take some of this information and data that he's getting, the sports science stuff that they're really trying to get into and look into drafting players who they think are going to be able to, you know, not only play for a little while, but able to contribute on uh, on, on on the level uh, early on. But I, you you also mentioned your uh, summer league experience. Tell tell the people a little bit about your first time being out in Vegas for NBA summer league, and also having to uh, to to fight through media scrums of uh, 40, 50 pe- Japanese media to uh, talk to Rui Hashimura. Yeah, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience, um, to say the least. Uh, I think it's a lot, uh, really cool experience also from the basketball side of things of just getting in there, seeing it's kind of the unofficial party of the summer for the NBA. Um, everybody's there, players, executives, coaches, now obviously the rookies um, and other young players are playing out there. Uh, the Wizards had obviously Rui Hachimura, Admiral Schofield, Justin Robinson, Garrison Matthews, along with Troy Brown Jr. Um, come back for his second season. And uh, it was kind of interesting now looking back at it because John Thompson III, the former Hoist coach, who's now part of Monumental Basketball, was out there and chit-chatting with the, the organization. So it all kind of makes sense now um, what was going on then. Uh, but as far as the actual playing, um, obviously Hachimura looked really good. Um, he's kind of subtle in his game where you're watching it and you're like, okay, yeah, like he's a decent, he's doing pretty well. And you look at the box score later, and you're like, holy cow, he put up 20 and 10? When did that happen? Um, there was one uh, right after halftime, the third quarter, sub-third quarter, he was just dominating people. He had like four or five buckets in a row, and he was just making it look easy. Obviously, uh, things would be a lot different once he's playing against 
the real grown men of the NBA, um, and you want to see how far he develops. Because obviously, he's not going to be some uh, all-star right off the bat or anything like that. But there's definitely some promise um, for the Wizards, and that's kind of what you have to do. They have all of these young guys, you know, even Mo Wagner, Isaac Bonga, Jamario Jones are out there. They're just stockpiling like eight young players. And so maybe you don't hit on all of them, but if you hit on three or four of them and they're good rotation players, maybe one ends up pops out to be a star one day. That's what you got to do. You got to, you don't, you don't necessarily want quantity over quality, but if you're getting a lot of quantity that you can take flyers on, um, and that you still think of as quality based on whatever analytics tell you, gut feelings tell you, um, that's going to help out in the long term, especially in the days of where everybody's getting paid these uh, really ridiculously large contracts with the Supermaxes. Um, getting guys on these rookie scale contracts is going to be really important, and that's what the Wizards are trying to do here. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's very important to try to stack up and hit on as many of these, uh, you know, second round or uh, undrafted flyers, because at the end of the day, like, you know, they're they're in a situation where, you know, they're going to be strapped for cash going forward where they already have uh, John Wall, who's under a super max and they have Brad Bill, who's under a max contract. So, I mean, they really don't have a lot of money on throughout the rest of the roster. I mean, they don't have enough money under the salary cap to, you know, fill out the rest of the roster with you know uh you know mid-level exception guys you know they 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 really only have enough to get you know uh minimum guys in there so if they could possibly hit on a couple of these guys that will definitely bode well for them going forward when they'll possibly have to uh extend bradley bill again which is a perfect segue into uh the next thing i want to talk about which is uh the all the information woge uh who happened to be at the press conference yesterday shout out woge uh, yeah, but he kept, he's been tweeting out. He was the first one to, uh, first initiate, uh, the talks of the Wizards possibly offering, uh, Bradley Bill a three year, $111 million contract extension. I believe he did that on the, uh, on the, uh, on the ESPN, uh, draft preview special. And, but he's also yeah. tweeted it out uh, a couple of times since then. So, uh, how do you feel about the, uh, the contract offer that the Wizards are going to give him? And do you think that Bradley Bill will take that offer? Yeah, so obviously, um, Willis broke that story, uh, early Monday afternoon before the actual monumental basketball press conference. Um, Tommy has already pretty much confirmed all of that publicly and on the record, um, that on Friday when, the Wizards are first allowed to, under the CBA, uh, offer Bradley Beal a three-year, $111 million extension, um, that they will be doing that. He views that as, this is out of respect to Brad, and what Brad means to us, what we think of Brad. Um, he doesn't necessarily expect Brad to give him a decision anytime soon. He understands that you know Brad needs to talk to his family. He should uh, consider that he's about to have his second son coming on the way um, in a few weeks. Uh, he used to talk to his agent, Mark Bottlestein. I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, Mark Bottlestein getting that bag, man. I'm a big fan, man. Hey, what's up, Mark Bottlestein? Holla at your boy, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, and I think uh, it's fairly clear from a money standpoint that it would not be wise for Brad uh, to take this $111 million um, extension offer, say, next year. Um, they can offer him a four-year extension at, about $154 million. Um, if he were to get All-NBA, 
he could get a five-year extension of $254 million. Um, even if uh, he just goes out and becomes a free agent, you know, he could sign a five-year max contract extension without the Supermax. I guess back then it wouldn't be an extension if he's a free agent. But that would be around $217 million. Even if he wanted to sign with another team um, when he becomes a free agent, he can do that for four years, $161 million. So it just really doesn't make sense, um, barring some catastrophic injury, knock on wood. Um, it just wouldn't make sense for Brad to commit to this team. Who he also doesn't know what they're going to be like. Um, obviously, things on paper look better um, than the very bleak uh, future that they had, uh, say, just a few months ago. But he's still going to want to see how that plays out. So to me, it just makes no sense for him to take less money uh, to stay in a situation that still has a lot of unknowns um, when he's a guy that's very competitive, craves winning, um, and he's not going to be sure of whether that's going to be actually happening um, in D.C. or not. So I don't see him uh, signing this contract extension. Um, for three years. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Um, you know, it really just doesn't make financial sense for him to sign this contract extension early when I mean he could literally, like you said, he could wait next year and sign the same exact deal and get more and get more money. Like that just it just makes more financial sense, you know. And you know, regardless of you know whatever the financial implications are, I mean, we're talking about Brad. You know, Brad's a he's he's a he's a winner. Like Brad wants to win. And I know that, you know, Brad is a loyal guy, but I don't think that the Wizards should be in a position where they're taking his loyalty for granted. And, you know, they, they, they have to kind of prove to him that, you know, they're making the right steps as an organization that, you know, he'll want to sign up for a few more years and, you know, take and take try to get this franchise back to a plateau that they haven't been able to reach in 40 years, which is uh, winning 50 games and making it to a conference finals at least. So, you know, I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons that Brad probably will not take the deal. And I think that's why I'm glad that we're having this conversation so that, you know, we can kind of walk back uh, Wizards fans who will be on the ledge, you know, saying that, oh, man, we got to trade Brad. This is all bad. You know, if he turns the deal down next week. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think that's a great point that um, people might want to know that Tom Shepard is essentially scoffing at the idea that if Brad turns him down, then they have to start looking to move him, either before the season or by the uh, next February 2020 trade deadline or the following season after that, uh, where he still has one year left on his contract. Tommy Shepard, unless he's told otherwise by people above him, which, you know, always could be the case. Um, Everybody has a boss. Um, But he's going to try and take the full amount of these two years that they have in left hand contract and sell him on the idea of you can win in Washington. You can be a great multi-multi all-star player here. You can build a Hall of Fame career here. You can retire your jersey here. You can bring a championship here if all goes well. That's what they're going to try and sell him on over the next two years. And I don't see, unless someone's offering up four or five first-round picks and four talents, uh, I just don't see them even entertaining uh, any offers for Beal um, over at least the next coming months. Um, obviously, things can change fast, but Tommy Shepard has pretty much shut the door on 
the entire league that has come asking about Bradley Beal. Yeah, man. If I were a betting man, I'd say that Brad will be on the Wizards at least through next year's NBA draft. I'd feel confident in saying that. Now, obviously, things can change a lot between now and then. And I think that, you know, even if this this ship looks like it's going to start sinking, there might be a lot of rumbling starting up around the trade deadline. But I honestly believe that it would be advantageous for the for the Wizards to at least wait through next year's draft, or I mean through until you get to next year's draft, and then kind of figure it out from there. Like, I mean, Bradley Bill's under contract for two more years. There's really no rush to this process. So um, I mean, and, and I, I'll do another segue here. I said as a betting man, uh, one one of the things that uh, we talked about previously was the fact that the Wizards over under for win total next year is uh, 27 and a half wins. So uh, how how do you feel? about uh, that win total, and do you think the Wizards will come over or under that? I think they're going to go barely over that. I think they're going to hit that 28-30 to 30 win mark. Um, they are going to be a really bad defensive team. Um, Isaiah Thomas, so as much as Firepower as he could potentially bring if he returns to form, not a great defender. Um, no, Thomas Bryant, not really that great of a defender. Um, got a lot of young guys on the team. They're going to have their hiccups and mistakes here and there. The team is not going to be very good defensively, but I think uh, they'll be able to catch some uh, teams that they should lose to sleeping some nights. Uh, saying yesterday, they're going to be uh, the opposite of the twenties of the Wizards of the past couple seasons. They're going to be the sub five hundred team that are upsetting uh, some of these playoff contenders um, on any random night. Uh, it's not going to be the Southeast flu, but you know DC flu has a little bit of effect on teams. So maybe they'll catch some teams sleeping. Uh, they'll pick up some games. They have you know a decently competitive roster. You know Isaiah Thomas regains any of that 2016-17 sparkle that he had. Um, that would be an amazing story, and then he automatically becomes a guy that could be dropping 20 a game. Obviously Bradley Beal is amazing. You got Troy Brown, Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant as a a trio of very young developing players that have showed a little bit of promise here and there. Um, and then you got some depth off the bench, you know, uh, Davis Bertans and CJ Miles who they acquired in trades. You know, they're no, they're no slouches. They're elite three point shooters. Um, and then the way that Washington and, uh, Tommy wants the team to play, they're going to be fast. They're going to be shooting a lot of threes. That's what the analytics tell them. Um, and that, again, that's a, another, stark difference between the Ernie Grunfeld era um, and what I think we'll see under the Tom Shepard era is a whole lot of analytics. Yeah, I think that we'll see a whole lot of analytics. And I think uh, one of the people that we uh, failed to mention earlier on was uh, my guy, Brett Greenberg, who also was promoted from uh, vice president of basketball analytics to now assistant GM. And he was uh, probably one of the, uh, the thought leaders in trying to get the team to play different over the last season. So, you know, whereas they went from the Randy Whitman era where they were taking a lot of long twos and, you know, a lot of just not good analytic shots, you know, they've been playing a little bit better. And whereas the results really weren't there last year, I mean, I mean, I don't know how many times that we were in post-game press conferences with Scott Brooks and he talked about, I mean, well, we shot the threes, we just didn't make them. You know, it, I mean, that, that, ha- that seemed to happen a lot last year. 
So, you know, whereas they had guys maybe where the roster wasn't really fit to play the style of play that they wanted to play last season, when you bring in guys like Bertons and CJ Miles, who, you know, are going to be, you know, stretch forwards, maybe, maybe that will be more conducive to uh, them playing that playing style and, you know, trying to come out there and win some games. I, I, I think that 27 and a half wins – it's just it's just way too low, especially when you you're considering having a, a borderline all NBA talent such as Bradley Bill. I mean, I'm I'm taking the over on that, and and I feel uh, quite confident about it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And uh, to your point, um, I think two years ago, uh, Bill I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see what the team is going to look like. I'm excited to see the team chuck it up and, and shoot as many threes as possible. What I'm not really excited about is the fact that uh, with one of those threes just so happens to go in towards the end of the game, we will no longer be getting a dagger call from our guy Steve Buckhantz. Um, so I feel like it would be reminiscent uh, to, to not talk about that. Uh, what, what, how did you? What was your first reaction when you saw the news being made official about Buckhands not returning to the uh, to the booth as the play by play announcer for the team after over twenty years of service? And what do you think about the way that uh, uh, the, the the team handled this this whole transition? Yeah, so to start off first, obviously Steve Buckhands, you know, great guy. Um, somebody who, when I was starting out real young um, doing this, uh, somebody who, hey, he was like, hey, kid, uh, try doing this, try doing that. You know, you'll be fine. Like, don't worry about it. Um, really great guy, super nice. Um, will be very uh, missed both by the media, by fans at home listening to the broadcast. Um, definitely going to be uh, an adjustment, um, to say the least. Uh, and I think... What makes it all worse, of course, is uh, how the entire process was dragged out and handled overall. Um, in March, April, uh, the news comes out that NBC Sports Washington will not be immediately renewing its contract. Um, then you have this whole uh, stretch of time, like five months going along, where uh, Buckhands wants to be back, but he's just getting kind of dragged along, not being told what's going on. He, all he knows is that they're interviewing other candidates. Uh, you hear some names like Dan Helley, Dan Feldman, who, you know, kind of makes sense, like, might be bringing people back from who are from this local area. Um, and then, obviously, in the past uh, week, the news finally breaks um, that they've replaced him with uh, Fox Sports' uh, Justin Kuchar, um, who a lot of people, I think, had a kind of surprise uh, reaction to just because um, he's not really from this area, has no real ties to the area. Um, Buckhands obviously um, was also pretty hurt 
by the entire process. He said that he had not spoken from, uh, spoken to Ted or Zachary Neosis. Um, he said that uh, team has everything to do with it. Obviously, uh, Neosis has a um, decent percentage stake in NBC Sports Washington. Um, so it's not, don't be naive to the fact that this is NBC Sports Washington making the final call that they don't want Bucky Hans. Um, Leonsis definitely has uh, some saying that Bucky Hans went so far as to say that if Leonsis wanted him back, he would be back. Hey, I, I tend to I tend to directly agree with that. Um, I actually wrote a story in the Washington City paper last year talking about uh, the team when they were doing the the predict the game contest where they were you know they had contests where they were giving out five hundred dollar rewards if you were able to you know whoever got the most uh, answers right on different proposition bets that were going on on the screen during the game. And when when I did that interview, I got a chance to talk to uh, Damon Phillips, who is the uh, GM over at uh, NBC Sports Washington. And I also talked to Zach Leonsis uh, from Monumental Sports, Ted Leonsis' son. And so and through that process, you know, just a few months ago, you know, they were working collaboratively uh, to ensure that the, the team was having, you know, the best uh, alternative broadcast and that they were going into the 21st century as far as, you know, trying to implement sports betting into play-by-play announcing. So for them to, you know, kind of turn around, you know, five months later and say, oh, well, you know, this is a decision. It's all on NBC Sports and that, you know, Monumental had nothing to do with it. I think that's kind of very much misleading uh, to the public. And that goes right along with what uh, what, what Steve Buckhans is saying when he says that, you know, if 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 Ted wanted him back, that, that he would be back. And so, you know, I think that we, we, when we look back at um, the transition from when uh, Carol Lawson took over for Phil Chenier, I feel like that there was a lot of a little bit of an uproar then from Wizards fans. But in reality, you know, the, the broadcast got better. And so this this situation could be exactly the same, but if if the if monumental sports doesn't really communicate properly communicate what it is they're trying to do, you know, then how can the fans you know kind of get behind that? I feel like the fans would have been a lot more receptive if they would have said, you know what, we're looking to shift into this you know sports gambling broadcast, and we're going to be doing this and we're going to be doing that. Then people would have been much more receptive to it. But you know, it it, it feels kind of like a sleight of hand for them to to have uh, Steve Buckhantz, uh, you know, just kind of walk off into the to the sunset. And as he said, without being able to properly say goodbye to all of his listeners and fans, you know, it seems like they kind of did him a bit of a disservice. For sure, yeah. I think um, you hit the nail right on the head um, when Phil Chenier uh, was eventually replaced by Kerry Lawson. Um, Phil got to say, you know, goodbye to the broadcast. Um, goodbye to the thousands of thousands of fans that have been watching him for years and years. Um, Buckhands will not be getting that opportunity. You know, we might have to um, get him a uh, live feed uh, to broadcast uh, Wizard Games himself. I know um, some people, uh, they'll uh, turn on the local radio and they're trying to hush up uh, some national commentary that's going on to the TV. We might uh, maybe crank uh, Buckhands up to a live feed and um, let him go ahead and keep commentating games. So I know that there'll be a demand for that. Um, but yeah, definitely a sad way to see things go. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a sad way to think, see things go. And I feel like uh, that might have been the let, let's hope let's hope that that was the the last uh, bad communication era 
of an old regime and that once we had that monumental basketball press conference yesterday that, you know, we can clean the slate and we can start all over with a fresh start and just evaluate the franchise as far as everything they do from now going forward. So I think one of the things that we have to look at is, you know, uh, one of the things with Wizards Twitter, you know, it would be, you know, fire Ernie, fire Ernie this, you know, Ted couldn't tweet anything without people saying fire Ernie underneath of it. So, I mean, once, you know, we, we kind of got Ernie out of there now, you know, this doesn't really fall on him anymore. This kind of falls on, on, on what Ted and, and what Tommy Shepard's going to do and what Sashi Brown is going to do and what John Thompson III is going to do and, you know, what Brett Greenberg is going to do. So these guys, you know, they have an opportunity, they have a clean slate here to, uh, you know, get back on it. But, you know, it, the, the job is going to be difficult, though. So I'm, I'm excited to see how this all plays out. Um, I know that you're, you're excited to get back down there for another season. We're going to have a, a bloggers row popping once again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. So I, I think that, you know, I'm, I feel like with everything that has happened, the only thing that we can do right now is give the team the benefit of the doubt and, you know, just kind of see uh, where the chips fall. Now, I feel like we'll probably know pretty early on whether, you know, this is headed in the right direction or not. And so uh, until then, we all, all we have to do is, you know, look at the moves that they are making and try to evaluate the on the court product, which is what, what should be regardless of whether they win a lot of games or not. It should be interesting and it should be exciting for for, for next season. Yeah, and I think um, people should not get their hopes up uh, too much for next season. Um, I think playoffs are almost out of the question. Um, Tommy kind of, he's not said that, but he's kind of uh, beat around the bush that, oh, they could have run back uh, last year's team, but that would have only been an eight seed. So they've probably already taken a bit of a step back from that. Um, you might not think that, but at the end of the day, guys like Otto Porter, Bobby Porter, and Jabari Parker, um, you know, put in points, got put in some production, yeah, the Wizards won't really have this year. Um, but to leave it on a little bit of an optimistic note, uh, kind of fights on to 2020-21 season, uh, theoretically you get back a healthy John Wall. Uh, he might not be that five-time All-Star level, but you know if he's a serviceable top 10 uh, point guard in the NBA, you know, that's not nothing. Um, get him, there are the deals an almost LNBA caliber player. Um, you've got your young trio of 12 round junior, Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant, um, who potentially could all be three starters. And then you likely add another lottery pick, 2020 uh, NBA draft lottery pick. Um, that's not bad. You know, six good players, and you'll have a, a little bit of salary cap space with Jan Mahini uh, finally off the books. Yeah, finally off the books, man. So basically, you're saying there's a chance, Neil. <laughs> For next season, not this season. For next season, all right. I'm I'm buying with you, man. I'm I'm a committed. Uh, I'm a team player. So you know, we're we're gonna rock with them this year, and we're gonna we're gonna get excited. For next season, man, I really appreciate you coming on again, man. I'm gonna give you give you a chance to go ahead and uh, plug Hoop District and plug all your stuff and let the people know where they can find you, Neil. Yeah, so uh, obviously um, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Neil the Wall ninety six, but more importantly, almost because I basically do all my uh, tweeting from there anyway. Uh, at Hoop District DC uh, on Twitter, also uh, 
Follow us on Instagram. You know, we got some great um, photographers uh, in the crew. Yeah, shout out Rob, man. <laughs> yeah, shout out uh, Rob Banez, um, Booba on Instagram. Uh, they're doing some great work. Um, that's going up on our Instagram. We're trying to grow that. Uh, you can follow us there at Hoop District. Um, you'll get all of our content if you just follow us in those two places. Um, I, no, no shade the truth about it, but uh, I got to say, Hoop District, the elite uh, blog of Wizards right now. Hey man, no, no, no shade taken, man. Y'all are running the game right now, so respect, man. Respect, all the respect. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right, no problem, man. Thanks for coming on, man. For sure. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.